Okay, last time we introduced a new understanding and reading of the Rambam um, based upon the Rambam's um, refutation or at least his resolution of the problem of creation ex nihilo raised by Aristotle that how can we assign, how can we ascribe any type of a change in God, so we ended up by saying that the Rambam's response to this refutation, which the Rambam clearly understands that this argument is an argument which is separate from the other arguments. Not only does he not give it a number, but in fact actually he, he resolves it in a different chapter, then we came, or I came to the conclusion, that in fact creation ex nihilo for Maimonides is evidently not a theory of creation, but is actually a... Um, a, a concept of thought. Now what I want to do is I want to continue on this line in Paracutes, in chapter 19. I know we're going fast, but I think that if, unless we understand, unless we read these chapters, um, um, you know, that I think that then it's not going to, um, then we won't get the main idea. The Rambam, let's, once again, let's summarize really what the Rambam is doing. I think we've spoken about this, but I think it's worth it to go back over it and just sort of like get a um, an outline of the chapters. And Ramani says he's going to communicate things through Reish Krokim, chapter headings, at least we have to have a scheme of the chapters, right? In chapter 13, the Rambam introduces the concept, the different opinions, whether the world was created either ex nihilo, or whether it was created um, well, it was never created, it's eternal. And then in Parakir Dalit, chapter 14, the Rambam raises the proofs, the Aristotelian proofs of the world's eternal, including the, the proof that, in fact, actually, that describing um, um, a act of Christian law would actually describe a change in a state of God, which seemed to contradict God's incorporeality. And then in chapter 15, the Rambam refutes the arguments, the scientific cosmological arguments raised by Aristotle, creation of uh, for eternity of the world. In chapter 16, he blasts the um, the um, the um, the um, the um, what you call it again, the Kalam. In chapter 17 also he musters general arguments against the cosmological proofs of the turning of the world. And in chapter 18 he addresses this, this argument which, um, which in fact actually that ascertains that to assert that the world was created ex nihilo would mean ipso facto that there's a change in the ruts of the will of God. And the Roman was arguing basically says that we don't understand. We can't, we can't speak about these things, which means, what, what, what really, what I wanted to say, is that means that Christian ex nihilo is not a, it's a concept, it's an idea. Now, in chapter 19, the Rambam goes further. Chapter 19, Rambam goes further. And I want to go through chapter 19. It's a long chapter, but it's a crucial chapter, because the Rambam now is going to make a very interesting argument why he believes now, why he believes like this. In other words, I've already explained the creation ex nihilo, the concept of the creation ex nihilo is connected with free will, the will of God. That God is not you know, God is not um, subject to the natural order. But rather, things are created Creation the yellow is basically an affirmation of the free will of the creator, of God, and consequently the free will of man. Now, in chapter 19, the Rambam um, argues with Aristotle, takes the offensive, and he takes the offensive by saying that it must be that when the world was created, there was a will, there was an intentionality in creation. Okay, now, what is this um, argument that Rambam makes? And I think it's really worth it to go through this argument because we're going to see here really what how the Rambam really understands creation. What is creation ex nihilo? 
So, I'm going to read now from the Pindus edition. I have the Schwartz edition in front of me. When I get caught on the English, the Pindus edition will refer to the Schwartz. In the Schwartz edition, it's Parakutes, page 318. In the Pindus edition, it's, once again, chapter 19, page 302. Says the, says the Rambam, I'm reading now from the Pindus edition. It's clear to you from the doctrine of Aristotle, as well as from that of everyone who from the turning of the world, that his view, that which exists, has proceeded from the created virtue of a necessity. In other words, basically, according to the Rambam, right, um, the creation is what's called Bebchinus Chiyuv. It has to be. No one decided to create, there, was, there wasn't an alternative to creating the world. The world has to be. That he may be exalted as a cause in this world and effect, and it was necessary that he should be soon. In other words, it's necessary that he created the world. In other words, there was no free choice of God to create the world. But the creation of the world has to be. Just as one does not ask the God to him, may be exalted why he exists or how he exists. Thus, I mean to say, as one and incorporal, so it may not be asked with the God to the world as a whole why it exists or how it exists thus. Right? You can't ask, the, you can't ask why the world exists. Now, it's, it should be noted that the Rambam himself in section in, in, in chapter in um, in section um, three um, in chapter thirteen of section three, the Rambam says, right? Often the minds of per- perfect men have grown perplexed over the question of what is the final end of that which exists. Now I will explain that in all schools this question is abolished. I say then that in the case of every agent after the purpose, the thing is done must necessarily have some end with a view to what has been done. According to philosophical speculation, this is clear and is not in demonstration. It is also clear that a thing that has been done in this way with a purpose must have been produced in time if there have not been existed. Among the things that are clear also belongs the fact, and the fact universally admitted, that he, capital H, whose existence is necessary, who has never will ever be non-existence, does not need an agent, as we have already made clear, and as he has not been made, no questions the final end arise with reference to him. Whereas the Rambam says you can't say why God created the world. There's no tachlis to the world. And the Rambam says this, whether you believe in the eternity of the world, whether you believe the world was created ex nihilo. So already we have an incredible contradiction in the Bible of Ochem. The Rambam, what? Um, chapter 13 of section 3. In other words, the Rambam says that in other words, you can only ascribe a tachlis of purpose to something where the, in other words, where, where the, person, the, the person himself acting or creating something, right, is finite and you can know his purpose. But as to God, you can't speak about his purpose. Now, once again, you could resolve the contradiction here, he's speaking about God, he's speaking about the world, but in other words, it, it seems that in. in, in in this chapter, the Rambam says this question can be asked. In any case, let's go further. Ah, so he says, for all this, both the cause and the effect exist necessarily, and the non-existence is not possible with God to them. In other words, it can't be the world won't exist. The world has to be. That's according to the belief of the eternity of the world. As it follows, definitely from this opinion, that of necessity, everything must remain permanently as it is, according to its nature. That nothing can change as far as nature is concerned. Therefore, everything that is has to be the way it is. In a certain sense, the attorney of the world is the, is the view of the world which is the most commensurable with God's incorporeality. In other words, since God must necessarily exist, his creation must necessarily be the way it is. And this follows the, the theme we've seen in the Rambam, is that, in other words, God's incorporeality, according to the Rambam, is very, very, very much dependent upon the attorney of the world. Very interesting. Which means that, in other words, right here, the Rambam, in other words, the, what, what, the really, what the Rambam wants to address to in, in, in this parak is, given God's incorporeality, right, and his necessary existence, and therefore the necessity of the creation, because since God necessarily exists, everything he does necessarily has to be done, and therefore the world the way it's created necessarily has to be. So how do I square this with creation ex nihilo? So, but that's not... Ah. That doesn't contradict um, book three. 
It doesn't contradict completely, but it's a little bit difficult because the Rambam seems to be saying that this is the opinion of the priest people who claim the turning of the world, and as opposed to those who believe Christ next to you. And, and, and book and, and section three, book and, and chapter thirteen, that's not that's not what that's not the mashmol. That's not what you get out of it. In any case, for quite his opinion, it's impossible that thing from long distance should change as far as nature is concerned. In other words, according to Christ next to it's a package deal. Not only is God of necessary existence, but the world has to be the way it is. Accordingly, no one is coming to big in virtue of the purpose of one possessing purpose who has chosen freely and will that all things should be as they are. In other words, the creation of Nihilo basically means that the incorporeality of the existence of God basically is extended in the creation. Now, says Maimonides, now as for us, the matter is clear in our opinion, namely, that all things exist in virtue of a purpose, and not of a necessity, and that he who purposed them may change them and conceive another purpose, though not absolutely any purpose whatever. For the nature of impossibility is stable and cannot be abolished, as we should make clear. So says the Ramam, no. The Ramam says, if, therefore, if you believe that what? If you believe that the world was created ex nihilo, so it has to be that not everything exists. has to be. It could be a different way. Right? Because both us free will, it could have created the world differently. My purpose in this chapter, goes on my body, is to explain to you by means of arguments that come close to being a demonstration. It's very interesting. This is the first time the Rambam is really on the offensive. Up to now, the Rambam has been on the defensive. Now the Rambam's on the offensive. That what exists indicates to us of necessity that exists in virtue of the purpose of what we proposed. And to do this without having to take upon myself with, to call him, have the cake into about the nature of that which exists, because the Rambam's want to abandon every sentient and friendless. So now I think that, that they have, okay, now he says, like this, goes on and says on, on page 304, I should explain this method after setting forth this premise. And, I'm on page 304. In the pinnace. Oh. Um, in page 319, In every case in which things differ in any way from one another possess a common matter, there must of necessity be a cause other and a different from, from the common matter. A cause that rendered it necessary that some of the things have a certain attribute, whereas some of the things have a different one. But the Ram goes on, the Ram is going to go on saying things. How can we see that things have different forms? There's one common matter in different forms. I mean, how do you explain that things have different forms? Why the different colors? Why do, I don't know, why do frogs look different than zebras that look different than elephants? I mean, why do you explain this? I mean, I could easily understand that a frog looks like a zebra and a, an elephant looks like a tadpole. In other words, or there may be several causes according to the number of things differing from one another. The premise unanimously agreed to both by those who believe the turn of the world and by those who believe in this having come into being in time. We put a question to Aristotle, saying to him, that was asking Aristotle the following thing. You have demonstrated to us that the matter of everything that is beneath the sphere of the moon is one in common to everything. What then is the cause of the differences between individuals of every species? He says, Aristotle, why should there be different species? He goes on and on with the same arguments. How come the planets have different shapes or different distances? In other words, why do we see variety of nature? And the Rambam understands, right? The Rambam understands that if we see variety of nature, it must be what? Right? It must be that there was a creator who created them with a certain purpose, with a certain intention. Right? Ah, so let's go to the Schwartz edition, page 324, the second paragraph where he says he says as follows he says and I'm and Pinnis is 308 so he says know that on the basis of our opinion that is the opinion of the community of those who affirm the production of the world in time all this becomes easy it's consistent with our principles it's easy it's possible why? For we say that there is a being that has particular rise, just as it willed every sphere in regard to its motion and rapidity, but we do not know in what respect there is wisdom in making these things exist in the fashion. Now, if Aristotle had been able, as he thought, to give us the cause of the differences between the motion of the spheres, so that these should be in accordance with the other of the positions, this would have been extraordinary. 
In that case, the code of legalization would have been constituted. But the fact is, he can't do it. In other words, the Rambam is making an incredible argument. Why should there be variation in nature? If you're telling me that what? If you're telling me that everything has to be, so explain to me why is it that things have different colors, have different shapes, have different forms? Why is there variety in nature? It's interesting. It's based on that, that if... if uh, that there must be a plan, a designer. You know what it's like? These things are, are accident? As no, it mu- no, it must be there's a creator who willed. No, we'd say all these attributes, like color and, and shape, are... are, are uh, because there's nothing that, that, that there's nothing that makes them necessary. Because they're accidents; they're not necessary. Right. It's very, very interesting, is that this was actually what gave rise to evolutionary theory. And what gave rise to evolution? If you read Darwin's Voyage of the Beagle, you'll see. And I think that the reason that evolutionists, I mean, what what gave rise to evolution theory is evolution asked evolutionists asked a very interesting question: Why is there so much variation? In nature, you go to certain islands, like there's, there's hundreds of types of birds. Why the hundred types of birds? Who ordered these things? What was the purpose of this? The conclusion you come to is that basically creation is random. It's a, <laughs> it's the same argument on the other side of the coin. But in any case, in any case, that's the Rambam's question. And, and, and basically. This is the Rambam is saying. And finally, at the very end, a paracutes. Oh, it's interesting. He brings up Ramavina, which we'll speak about in a little while. The, the Rambam understands that a positive proof of creation ex nihilo is as follows. Let's summarize the argument. The eternity of the world implies that just as God's existence is necessary, so the creation of the world as it was created was necessary. As Professor Shaw says, Bechiyuv. However, if we look at the, the variety that we see in the natural world, clearly we have to ask ourselves the question, who, could, who, who would possibly muster an argument that the incredible variety in the world is necessary. It must be that the only way we can explain the variety of the world is that there was what's called an intelligent designer who willed that there should be different colors, etc., etc. It's a very, very interesting argument. So in other words, what the Rambam's argument is not a direct argument. It's just saying that we see from variation that there must be something willful about creation. The argument in Kabbalah, um, if you look at the Shulam of the Gain, you'll see that the Gain says the world can only be created in one way, the Rachagav, Api Kabbalah. But in any case, that's what the, that's, that's what the, um, the Rambam says. It sounds says. like a syllogism. What? It sounds like a syllogism. What's the axiom and what's the... The axiom is... The axiom God, is the world God, has variation. God's existence is necessary. Wait, 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 what are you talking about? The turning the world? No, uh, no the world like this. The, the, the world exhibits tremendous variety, which leads me to conclude that things could have been different. Could have been different. Right, could have been different. Therefore, we have to say that a creator made a choice, right, to create, in other words, to create this way, not another way. And therefore, it's creation next to because the turn of the world assumes that God is subject to the laws of nature, which are necessary. Okay? That's the number. Now, what I've been trying to claim in the last lectures is that you can't take the Rishan at face value. In other words, what the Rishan is saying, and what it really means might be two different things, namely, is that if you analyze very carefully what the Rishan, what the Rambam here is saying, right, Let's boil down the argument to the following argument, okay? I look at the world, I look at the world, and I see that there's a variation in nature. Right? There's a variation in nature. And I ask myself, right? 
other words, why is this sphere round and this sphere oval? And you can't give me an answer. Because you can't give me an answer that necessarily this sphere has to be round and this sphere is oval. But what leads me to ask that question? It was what leads me to ask the question then why is this sphere round and why is this sphere oval? The answer to that is because I, as a thinking human being, can conceive of a world where the first sphere is oval and the second sphere is round. <laughs> For example, <laughs> in other words, if a rose is red and a tulip is blue, right? How do I know that God could have created a world where the tulip, I think, I hope I got the right colors, the tulip is red and the rose is blue? Only because I, as a thinking human being, can conceive of a possibility of a world with what? With red tulips and blue roses. I think it's violets. What? I think it's violets. That are violets? A tulip is not? Okay, what? Now, what? Okay, I'll say. But a red is always red, right? A red is always red? No. A violet is always blue. Hey, right, whatever it is. I'm even yelling. Okay, let's assume like that. Uh, I know horse is four legs oh. and a man has two legs. Both right. <laughs> <laughs> I sat um, I sat in a seminary with Saul Kripke. Saul Kripke was my Rebbe in Princeton philosophy. And he, a whole seminary for a whole semester, if there was I know if a horse had two legs, would it be a horse? <laughs> we would call it a horse. That's a very deep question. If Nixon had not won a 68 election, would he still be Nixon? Anyway, a whole, it came, it's a book called Naming Necessity. It's a whole, it came up with big chidushim in philosophy. In any case, I want to claim the following thing. The Rambams, my modernist whole question, that, let's use like this example, that a violet can be red and a rose can be blue, comes because man has an intellect, has a mind, which is capable, and I'm saying this by Lashon, I want to make Lashon very, very medulic, very precise, has an intellect which is capable of negating the reality around him. In other words, who says that a violet can be read only because man's intellect has what's called the power of negation? Why is that something that's specific to this argument? Any observation? Right, any observation, right. Now, what's man has an intellect which is capable of negation, and that leads him to ask the question why was the world created like this and not like this? Which means. So, any kind of question why is really. Ah, right, 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 right. Which means that what? Which means that really the source of the Rambam's question. Is, a, is basically because it's only a consequence of the fact that man's intellect, and intellect alone, is capable of this nihilism in the world, which in theory can negate the way reality is. I remember, I think when I was 13 years old, I was, became a big chassid of the famous existentialist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, who wrote a book called Letter Leneon, being in nothingness. I think I, I, I said this in one of my bar mitzvah drashas. <laughs> the best of What? No, I read it in English, but whatever it is. But anyway, but um, Saut, what's the Pshat Saut has his book, Being in Nothingness. And he posits that man is like a totally free being. And he claims that the source of man's being, a band's of free will, is the fact that man injects nothingness in the world. In other words, by definition, man can look at the world and say the world can be different. The fact that man can see that the world is different, that's the source of his free will. Because once, in other words, once I, in other words, once I accept that the world can be different, I can change it. In other words, nothingness for South is really the source of 
man's free will. Now, the fact is, is that I was, um, I've been reading this book, um, I've been reading this book on, um, on, um, on Hermann Cohen, no, I'm reading this book on, on Franz Rosenzweig and, and uh, Heidegger, written by someone Cohen, and Cohen says an incredible thing. I'm reading what he The book is called, um, the name of the book, it's good to correct what the name of the book is. Um, um, what's his name? He introduced me to this book. Oh, he sent me this book. What? Jasper. 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 Jasper, if you're listening. Jasper, if you're book. listening, there was a book of you of Azor on this book. Actually, the name of the author is Cohen. And he wrote this book on Rosenzweig, who was a famous uh, philosopher. I don't know how firm he was, but he certainly wrote a philosophy of Judaism. And he speaks about Homan Cohen, which, by the way, Hudach Agav was like a. I mean, Rabbi Soloveitchik was alive, but Rabbi Soloveitchik wrote his essay on Homan Cohen. Now, the interesting is, I found that I've opened up, let's say, a new vista in my lectures in Rabbi Soloveitchik, because one of the Soloveitchik in his upcoming lectures, which I want to publicize now, coming attractions, speaks about the fact that there's something called non being, that Krishna has to do with non being. And, and, and Rabbi Soloveitchik goes into. Interesting, um, goes into the commentators on the Rambam and the Vulchem, actually, in chapter 30, Cheskas and, um, and Shemtov in particular, and he develops episodes like a, a theory of non-being in the Rambam. Non-being appears to be something which the mind can conceive. What's interesting is that this notion of non-being actually um, it comes from this Herman Cohen, who's a Neocantian. I'm just reading from Cohen's book. For our purpose... The most consequential element of Cohen, and this is page 48 on the chapter toward metaphysics of Herman Cohen. For our purposes, the most consequential element of Cohen's critical idealism is indicated by the notion that being is first generated in a logical operation of negation. In other words, thought arises in negation. Cohen discussed the historical philosophical details of this notion in a section of the Logik entitled The Something and the Nothing, Das Etwas and Das Nichts. And in those sections, the, that immediately follow. The, origin, the concept of origin, in Cohen's view, is first discovered in myth. While Thales believed that all is water, and Examander agreed that the infinite itself is the point of origin for being. With this insight, the concept of origin first assumes its character as spirit, geist, instead of substance. But fortunately, the concept of origin is here retained the metaphysical and ideological character. And the ensuing scholastic disputes, the problem, it was debated whether even God's being might be created in thought. For Cohen, the modern logical principle of origins had fully surmounted these metaphysical errors. Only thought itself, he's quoting Cohen from the logic, page 81, I'm not sure it was translated to English, maybe we can do that. Only thought itself is capable of creating that which qualifies as being. For insofar as knowledge is certainty, thought cannot depend upon a sense given. For the Greeks, the meaning of the given was that which is derived from thought by means of analysis alone. Thought must accept as given only that which it can, alone can discover. What it wishes to discover is the something, that which can be determined in mathematics, determined by the X. The question is, what is X summarized the problem of origins? Since the origins of something cannot be discovered in another thing, for, it really, for this really we raise the question, the origins of a something lay not in something, but rather in nothing. Hermann Cohen. Meaning like that. That's exactly what I want to get at. And I'm going to call it was a Jew. It was a Yid. And Epis, he was trying to do Jew of his life. I don't think he was on But he wrote a book called On, on Judaism, out of the source of the Judaism, out of the, well, the source of Judaism, out of reason. He spoke about that. So Levachik did his preaching thesis on Hermann Cohen. Meaning as follows. Meaning as follows is. The fundamental character, concept of negation is rooted in man's thinking. In other words, man's thinking, when man looks at the world, however God wants to say, that's part of thought. When I look at the world and try to say, what is this thing? So I'm looking for its origin. And when I look for something origin, that's only me because the, in other words, the, the origin of thought Right? It's somehow based in an assumption that there's a non-being, that the thing doesn't exist. 
And man is that being who in fact actually, in other words, ushers or infuses consciousness with the possibility of nothingness. And this in fact actually is the, um, in other words, this is the source really of, of free will. And Kohen doesn't say this, but this is the Vapashas, that I base it somewhere else. I'm going to Bucky and Kohen. In other words, the source of free will is because man can entertain right, the possibility of things not being, in a more general sense. In a particular sense, not being the way they are. Now, really, when you really look at the Rambam, what Maimonides is doing over here, he's doing the same thing. Maimonides' analysis, his attempt to, um, to, I don't to prove, but to demonstrate the, you know, the, the possibility of creation ex nihilo, in my opinion, is merely an expression of the fact, I mean, is due to the fact that man through his mind and his thinking is able to muster forth, right, a concept of negation. Of nothingness, of non-being. Which means that for sure, if we come to the, if this analysis is correct, which I'm, it's, it's obviously correct, then we come to the conclusion that creation ex nihilo for the Rambam is not something in the world, not an event in the world, but it's a product of man's ability, right, to think of alternatives to the creation as man apprehends it and to contemplate the possibility of nothingness. That's what I want to claim. So, Who says that Raman was, was cognizant of a, of, of a dissonance between man's thought and reality? So, Lemaisa, the back, you want to say, Lemaisa, I'm not sure, look, I can never say he says it in the Megalevulchim, but if I understand deeply... So had you the opposite in the Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, however, if in other words, I don't know where it's cognizant, but the fact is, if I analyze the argument atumai, right, that's what the argument is, which comes out very good. It was the Rambam. In other words, and, and I want to claim, I want to claim is, is that if this is if this is the in other words, what the Rambam is cognizant, he doesn't say explicitly. I can't I can't prove anything, but I'm saying is that's the argument. The Rambam really didn't like when people do things like. What? He attacked people who who, um, who, who, who saw... <laughs> you only attack people who are close to you. Why does Hirsch attack Mendelssohn and the Rambam? What's his problem? He knew his people. What? What's his problem with the Kalam? With the Rambam? All of them. The problem with the Kalam is that they... they, they, they They're not scientific. No, 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 no. What's different? They, 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 they weren't scientific. They weren't Aristotelian. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the paradox that Manuka was speaking about. If he attacks the Kalams, why are you attacking Aristotle? That's the problem here. The answer is not attacking Aristotle. What you're saying is that what Aristotle is saying is saying, but it's a different dimension. No. The dimension of human thought. That's what I'm saying. If I attack, well, he's attacking Aristotle. So why are you attacking the Kalam? He didn't like people who gave, who gave credence to reality that transcends... The, you know, no, 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 no. He did no, 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 no. He didn't. No, no. Because the Kalam were making statements about the physical world. It was the Kalam was saying the physical world contains things like the vacuum and atoms and things like that. The Rambam denied this. The Rambam could say. He said you're making statements about human intellect. Right. I'm making statements about human intellects. I'm saying that the human intellect is different. Look, let me tell you. The Rambam himself says you can't say everything about God. In other words, the Rambam. That 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 Right, the Rambam, in fact, actually is a is, is in fact. If I now, I want to actually quote um, from Yeshabes Salavechik on the Rambam. Now, this Yeshabes Salavechik is not making any. Um, if I find it here, my briefcase is becoming as much almost complicated as my desk. But Yeshabes Salavechik. You know, it's very interesting. In these forthcoming lectures, first of all, I saw the Vechik 
First, he, um, he trashes the Rambam. From lecture one, he says, Always be the Rambam, lecture one. That's what he says. The problem of faith and science is as old as Jewish philosophy and thought itself. It's interesting that Nachmanus understood this kind of bend of Maimonides because he was not handicapped by any philosophical terminology. In other words, the Rambam was handicapped by philosophical terminology. And not only that, the Rambam um, says. Have Maimonides tried to investigate Jewish philosophy, including quoting Abin Shal Yisrael? Have Maimonides tried to investigate Jewish philosophy that was in the terminology of which he was a prisoner? He would have rendered a greater service to Judaism. That's what he says in what? Lecture 1. However, when we get to Lecture 9, right? Rabbi Soloveitchik, I think it's Lecture 9, right? When we get to Lecture 9, Rabbi Soloveitchik, Maybe it's 10. One second, no. We got a shine on that, right? We get to lecture, no, to lecture 9. Rabbi Soloveitchik has an interesting uh, change in mind. Change of mind. He speaks about, right? Maimonides actually was saying the same thing as the Bukhubala. Maybe it's lecture 10. Uh huh. I think it's actually annoying. Anyway, he says that Maimonides is the Bukubalim who actually, Maimonides was saying the same thing the Bukubalim was saying. Why don't I bring this in? By the end of the lectures, Maimonides becomes a Bakuba. But in any case, he detects that Maimonides is also a concept of, of non-being. Oh, here. He speaks about the Zoe of both interpretations of Maimonides. Here is this. Oh yeah, here it is. Oh no, this is wait, the new essay you gave me in here? Yeah. Oh here it is. Oh, he says in lecture eight. Maimonides was not interested in Kabbalah. However, in the final analysis, both the Kabbalah and Maimonides agree. The difference is only what, that one employs philosophical terms, while the other employs pictures metaphysical terms. Rabbi Soloveitchik. Meaning like this, meaning is that, I don't know what Can you speak up this? Steer it now. In chapter one, Rabbi Soloveitchik claims that Maimonides was handicapped and imprisoned by Brazilian philosophy. What, what are they disagreeing on, and then, and then? They're disagreeing on the concept. The, 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 the concept is what they're disagreeing on is the dichotomy between science and religion, and what religion ends a dimension is not in science; they're not commensurable. My mind is trying to make them commensurable because it's a prism of logic. He didn't fully understand the truth of the Kabbalah, which is the true message of Judaism. However, Rabbi Salavechik, Rabbi Yisrael Salavechik, develops a whole theory of non-being in trying to interpret 
um, the Rambam's consecration theolo Allah Kreskas and Shem Tov and as a result of that, he comes to a conclusion that Rambam also spoke about non-being, and then he agrees with Kabbalah. He just used a different nusach, a different thing. I mean, what I want to get to the following thing is, is that in other words, no one, I mean, no less than Rabbi Soloveitchik understands that, in other words, one can understand that there can be subcurrents of thought in Maimonides, which maybe he doesn't, in other words, clearly express, but one could still interpret him as such. But I'm claiming here more. I'm claiming the following. What I'm claiming is, is that Maimonides, the Rambam's argument in chapter 19, right, if we really analyze it, optimum, you understand it thoroughly, what the Rambam is saying is, a, is, is like this. The Rambam's argument against Aristotle is that the world as given is not necessarily so. We see this from the fact that we can easily conceive of things, right, exchanging forms, colors, all different types of, um, um, of, of, um, of characteristics. Meaning that what? What the Ram is basically saying, now how do I know that that, how do I know really that that proves that to be creator who will things? I mean, the only thing I can say is that man is capable of conceiving of the world as not being the way it is. In other words, the whole notion of creation ex nihilo arises from Maimonides and man's ability, right, to project a notion of non-being which originates in this thought and impose it upon the world. And so in other words, what the Ramam is really saying, obviously what the Ramam is really saying is, is that creation ex nihilo is really a property of thought which is also part of creation too, and it allows man, and the most important part of creation, actually, as the Ram is going to say in chapter 25, is that it's the source of free will, of God's free will, and therefore man's free will, by man having the ability to imagine the world as being different, this is the source of his free will. In fact, according to Haman Cohen, this is the source of his thought. Now, according to the Rambam, man is created with Salaman Okim, that's intellect. The source of intellect, according to Haman Cohen, is non-being. I'm not saying that the Rambam would have agreed with Herman Cohen, but certainly non-being is a property of thought. So what a claim is, is that what the Rambam, what comes out from the Rambam, we understand the Rambam, Saif Dava, right? Shurat Tachtona, as you would say, right? Is, bottom line is, is that the Rambam is not arguing on Aristotle. He's not arguing on Aristotle. What the Rambam, and, and the Rambam is, rich, is saying that to believe in creation ex nihilo, I do not have to reject Aristotelian science, Aristotelian physics, as the Batu Kalam did. They rejected Aristotelian physics. That the Raman rejects. But to believe in creation ex nihilo, it suffices to believe that man, through his thought, through his divine intellect, right, is capable, right, of imagining the world as not being the way it is, and therefore can generate alternatives, which is the source of his free will, and, of course, the source of man's thought is, of course, God. Man is creating the image of God. That's really the creation of man that, that distinguishes man from all the other creations. And so, therefore, creation is not a theory of the world. It's a theory of man. It's anthropomorphic. Can I speak out? Yeah. Speak out the stages again? No, like this. The Rambams... The Rambam rejects, the Rambam wants his cake and eat it too. He rejects the Kalam's attempt to prove creation ex nihilo by doing away with Aristotelian physics. That he rejects. Therefore, the Rambam is faced with asserting or positing the truth of Aristotelian physics, except for this lone point that Aristotle believes the world's eternal. The Rambam, the argument in chapter 19, is that the reason he believes, or the evidence that the world was created ex nihilo, or created by a god, he doesn't say ex nihilo, he says more, created by a, a god, 
who created wi- the world willingly and made choices is because I could think of things in the world as being different. In other words, the different shapes and forms that nature presents to me do not necessarily have to be as such. Now, when I think about this argument with the Raman, what's the Raman really saying? The Raman is not proving to me that the world could be different. The Raman, all the Raman is expressing the fact that I could, myself, I could conceive of things being different. In other words, who's bringing this uncertainty into the world? Man's power of thought. Man's power of thought is capable of entertaining, right, negations of reality as it presents itself, right, to the human mind. So what the Rambam is saying is, is that the evidence for creation ex nihilo is merely, right, man's ability to what? To conceive of the world being different than it is. Man's capability of, creation, of creating negation. So therefore, for the Rambam, creation ex nihilo is really a property of the thought. It's not a property of the world, it's a property of thought. It's just that, and why is this property of thought is important? Because man's ability to entertain alternatives to natural order is what gives him free will. What gives me free will? What's the source that a person feels that he's not restrained by the natural order? Because he's able to think of alternatives. So otherwise, man's, of course, man's free will has to have a source in God's free will. So, I don't think that the Rambam, the Rambam clearly says in Pasuk of for example, in chapter 7 or section 3, that animals don't have free will. Animals don't have free will because they don't have thought. The Rambam identifies thought with free will. That's what those hava is for animals. So since animals don't have free will, because they don't think, so the source of free will is man's thought. Man's thought produces free will because men can negate the external order and, you know, and annihilate existence. So, bekitzed nimrats. What I'm saying is, the Rambam believed in creation ex nihilo is not being a theory of creation, but rather being a property of the divine intellect and consciousness of man, which grants him the ability to act, to think freely, and therefore, right, to express his Selim Elohim, his image of God. That in my opinion, is the Shur Taktonah. Meaning what? What we've done is, we, we've been meyasher for the stigas. Right? We raised, once again, we raised several lectures ago. How many lectures have we had already? Is the eighth? Nine. Ninth. We raised nine lectures ago a very fundamental, very fundamental um, stigas, contradictions, the Brayna Vulcha. The Rambam asserts that God's incorporeal. His own corporality is based upon the assumption, assumption number 26 is the introduction, that the world's eternal. Right? If you say God's not corporal, then what? You're a paganist. You're not even a Vodazar. So how can the Rambam maintain incorporeality with the Rastilian proof which assumes the eternity of the world if the Rambam claims that the, the Teras Meisha asserts that God created the world ex nihilo, creation behind The answer is that there's no stila. There's no stila. In other words, creation ex nihilo is a stila to God's corporeality, only creation stila is the theory of creation. Insofar as God creates the world, he's incorporeal, and the world's eternal. Creation stila just adds a dimension of consciousness of man which can conceive of alternatives, which is the source of free will. That's what creation stila is. It's a musuk. It's a yasayit. Blisk. It's a musuk. It's a chafsa. Right? It's not a scientific reality. For this reason, the Rambam, right, can maintain the sheet of creation ex nihilo and, and smash the Kalam. Because the Kalam felt the creation ex nihilo was a theory of what? Of creation. Therefore, they had to radically alter Aristotelian physics in order to make it friendly, intellectually, scientifically friendly with creation ex nihilo. The Rambam says there's no reason I have to alter Aristotelian physics. Aristotelian physics, being that it's a theory of the physical world, remains the way it is. Krishnak's dialogue is not a theory of the world. It's a contemplation of the power of man's mind. So, in other words, the Rambam, I think, says in lectures, the Rambam is one of the great epistemological idealists. Right now, he speaks, he speaks about that being in the Shem Tov. But the fact is, is that I think that, in fact, Haman Khan, 
locates his theory in idealism. His Rebbe is Plato. So in other words, the fact is, is that the Rambam in Parakutet, in my opinion, is showing all his cards. Why does the Rambam speak the way he speaks, as if there's a Machlokas? So once again, the Rambam, this, first of all, this is a very difficult concept, that everybody can understand it. Right? Most people understand there's a Machlokas between Aristotle and Moshe Rabbeinu. So it's a Machlokas between Aristotle and Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? So therefore, the Rambam can come along and say that they you can't say something like that. Maybe say Moshe Rabbeinu, you can say about Aristotle. In other words, the Rambam, in his external argument, right? Since Judaism is pitted between the two forces of, of Greek versus Jew, the Rambam, of course, has to come out on the Jewish side against the Greek side. The secret message of the Merit of Uchem is there's no stigma. Which means that what I'm saying, what I'm claiming is, and I spoke about this in the first lecture, I'm being choylek on the Rishenim and on the Yapikosim. The Rishayim, Shem Tov, believe that the Rambam really was a secret Aristotelian. I didn't believe in Krishnak Sneolo. But he was from, he was from Aristotelian. Strauss believed he was really an Apicainus. He didn't believe in God. I say, Loise, halalo intifadazara, halalo intifadazara. The Rambam believed that both were true. Both are speaking about two different things. That was the Rambam Shita. They have a Hashem. I think we've returned the Rambam, Masa, Atara, the Yoshna. Right? And uh, this is sort of the Shittas HaRambam. Okay, now, I know that I'm going very, very fast, but there's a reason I'm going fast. Um, but um, what I want to do is the Rambam, in, para, in the next other program, continues on some of these things which are important. He goes into astronomy a little bit. Um, there's a very interesting, it's interesting, he brings Asi from Mavoma Vino, and a um, a pasuk in um, in um, this in Yeshaya, which is actually a zaya, which Rabbi Shabbat brings, and the Rabbim brings this. Me and Ma Ela. We'll speak about that. The Kodi the zaya is puzzling in a ontological dichotomy between. What is in the world, and why is it the why of the world? The personal and the God of creation. And this is the Rambam actually brings us here. I'm not sure if the Rambam meant like this, but what it is, I think this fits very, very nice with what I'm saying. We will continue with that in Mitzvah Shem in the next chapter until then, from this undisclosed pace in Yerushalayim. Have a nice week.